All right, good morning. Uh, for those of you who are wondering why I'm here, I am uh, saving Pastor Adam's voice. So I'm helping him and hopefully, maybe, uh, well, we won't presume that I'm helping you, but nonetheless, helping Pastor Adam here. Uh, so we're going to be doing the Swedish method together and uh, working through that. So I'll be a facilitator, but we'll all be studying together. So this is not me teaching per se, as much as it is looking at God's word and making observations together, applying God's word uh, to our daily lives, and then learning from it. Um, So if you don't have a bulletin yet, now would be a great time to pop up and grab one. Inside there is the Swedish method insert. Uh, and you will want one. There's also some pens back in the lobby, I believe, as well, uh, if you don't have a pen, because that will be helpful, too, because we will pause here for a minute uh, and read through a text and then start doing some homework. So uh, together we can make some observations and then share together. Uh, Before we begin, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your body, uh, the church. We thank you for the opportunity to assemble as such and to be reminded that we are not alone, um, neither should we be, and pray that even as we uh, run in the door this morning, find a seat, sit down, that we would see others around us and be reminded of our need for each other to serve one another, but also to, to be served, to be blessed, to meet needs and be, uh, have needs met by one another. Um, so create that humility within us. I pray that even as we begin to study your word together, that uh, we would lean into both your Holy Spirit to open the uh, pages of your word and reveal it to us, but also to lean upon the body itself, to help us rightly divide the word of truth and apply it to our lives. Um, I pray that you would incline our hearts towards your word, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would behold wonderful things from your word. Um, pray that you would unite our hearts both together and unite our hearts around your word, that uh, the hustle and bustle of the morning, the sickness that's so rampant right now, um, the many people that are uh, uh, struggling with different things in their life, in their home, and entering the door today, that you would unite us from those fragmentations of life and help us to surround, uh, to be surrounded by your word, to change our thinking and to change uh, our, our, our conduct, our, our way of life. And I pray that you would satisfy us with good things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So for our passage of study, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. So 1 Peter chapter 1, go ahead and turn there. And then more specifically, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses... 13 through 19, but I'll, I'll do everyone a favor and say that we're really going to be looking at 13 through 15 
but for your reading, I think it's actually helpful to read 13 through 19 because it gives a little additional context and clarity uh, to, to, what you're, to what you're looking at. So uh, what we're going to do, again, if you don't have a bulletin, if you're just now slipping in, you probably want to grab one. There is a Swedish method worksheet in there that you'll want to use, uh, and you'll probably want to pin as well. Uh, there should be some in the, the lobby if you need one. But we're going to take a few minutes in our seats and do the Swedish method. So you'll be reading this. Uh, I'm going to read this aloud, um, and then I'm going to release you to personal study. And then here in a few minutes, we'll jump back in and start moving through these different questions together and uh, sharing our observations and, and blessing one another. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or without blemish or spot. Okay, so that's 13 through 19 that we just read there together. Um, this is a loaded passage. Turn you over to God's Word. Uh, you should have your worksheet there. Start scribbling some notes and working through it. Again, reminder, focus on 13 through 15. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. There's just too much here uh, to, cover, uh, to cover in our Sunday school hour. But yeah, I'll give you like five, six, seven minutes for you stragglers uh, to study through. I think it's amazing, uh, our, well, one, our small group gathered, uh, I guess it's about two weeks ago, and we participated in the same exercise, different passage, and it's always amazing to me, just like five minutes, seven minutes, three verses, and then boom, just all these notes, all these different ideas, all these different things start jumping off the page. Um, I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who... Uh, couple months ago, he said something to the effect of that I approach God's word with a pen and paper because I'm a student, but also because I'm a warrior. Um, and I think some of that will come out, actually, as we look at this text. Uh, and I, I find that as a convicting statement because oftentimes we approach God's words passively, where we're approaching it, looking at it, and uh, get my verse for the day or whatever. And I'm not diminishing the value of having something to anchor our hope in that day, but there's so much more uh, that can be gleaned. And this little exercise we just did is a, a great depiction of that, that just spending a little bit of time with pen and paper in hand, things just jump off the page. Okay. Something to see. What shines in this passage? What draws attention? What is the main idea? What character of God is displayed? What key words shape the text? What are you all thinking through? Daniel. 
So I started with the word therefore, because it's a continuation of an argument. I went back and looked at what the argument began with, and he's talking to Jews who have been dispersed, meaning they're pushed out of their own lands. And he starts by telling them all these things that God has done and is preparing for them. And then the therefore is, what are you going to do about it? So I just thought that was okay. Great occupation. Yeah, it's tough to pick one of these texts and then just be like, here's three verses, because then you get a therefore or a but or something like that that's contrasting something else. <laughs> You're like, Paul, we've got to look at the other passage, too. And so I knew what, when you mentioned the passage, I knew what the first verse was. Automatically, you know, that the King James, I think, called it where they were going for action, which is the only phrase, for taking that long road and cutting it in and getting ready to do business. But in a little bit more modern sense, it's kind of like pulling sleeves up and getting ready to do the logistics here. But it's the seriousness of it and uh, we're sober in there, and uh, there's a battle that we have to be ready for. Yeah, I think that's a great point, that the girding up the loins of your mind, or girding up your loins, is not really something that we often think about. Um, and that, that phrase there, girding up the loins of your mind, some of you may have something to the effect of preparing your minds for action, the, the struggle here with the Greek is that it's actually two different kind of expressions and ideas that we don't really have language for in a single expression. Um, so the mind there is not just, put it this way, it's not less than just your thoughts. Uh, it has to do with thinking through or through thinking something that your whole mind is engaged in this. It's a, it's a thinking of reason versus a passive sort of, oh, it's a very active sort of preparation. Another way of saying this might be to um, bring in the loose ends of your thoughts. So we think about just fragmentation of thought and all these different things spiraling, spiraling around us, going back to the warrior mindset. If you're preparing for battle, I think even sober-minded is helpful here as well that when you're being sober-minded and you're preparing for battle, it doesn't, it's not just in contrast to don't be drunk. It's a sort of seriousness and a linearity to your thought, that there is a certain reasoned focus to how you're thinking through something. This is an intentional, active sort of thinking. Great, great observation, Ward. What else? These are all great. Roy? Um, I never thought of, I don't remember thinking about the grace to be brought when Jesus is revealed that he's coming. We think of, I think of grace as a desire and power to do God's will today. It's, it, it is unmerited favor, but there's a grace at his revealing. There's an unmerited favor to being translated into the actual presence of God in the glorified body. And um, then it moves in to be holy. And it reminds me of Colossians 3. There's a hope for the graces to come. And Colossians 3 is set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. 
And there it talks about mortifying your members that are on the earth. Here it says, be holy. I'm just interested by the, the parallelism between the two passages. Yeah, I don't think that's... Um... I think that's a, I'll put that in the positive. I think that's a great observation and the parallelism, parallelism between the two is, is strong. Um, and even looking through that, I bounced over, <clears throat> excuse me, bounced over to Colossians as well for that same reason. Right. And that to prepare your mind for action, if, you know, for me, this is the beginning of the day. And so when I wake up, I generally have thoughts in the head, you know, plans for the day. And so this preparing my mind is reminding me not to just go my way as I'm not thinking through those things, but to be in God's word and then asking him to see me the to see these situations in the light of his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit and not just do what I typically do, because I may be on the wrong path to begin with. Or there may just be a new opportunity that God's gonna bring into this situation. Totally agree. I think that um, even as we think about the preparing your minds for action, like you were saying, that sober-minded, First um, Peter five eight comes to mind. So later in the same book, but sober-minded like a lion's out in the street. Um, that doesn't mean that that sober-minded person is zero fun. That they have no personality, that they're, you know, whatever, but your senses are heightened, um, just letting you know. Like, if there's a lion out in the street and you're walking around, you're probably going to be a little more keen than you are maybe if you're just, I don't know, I don't have a good comparison, but, yeah. So it gives you kind of a good explanation of what it means to be sober-minded, even as first, first, as Peter uses here in First Peter to describe that sort of sobriety. Um, and I think that's to your point, like if you're waking up in the morning and your thought is a battle rages, there's a war going on, or there's a lion in the street, there's a certain level of preparation that takes place that is very different from, oh man, it's going to be a tough day at work and blah, 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 fill in the blank with all the different things. Those are true. I'm not trying to diminish that, but there's a greater truth. There's a greater thing to be looking at uh, there's spiritual realities in play that uh, are of eternal consequence. Something dovetailing on the, the, you know, what John, you were just saying is, you know, preparing minds for action. So that it's implied that you will act. Yeah. You will do things, and not just. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's easy to take a verse that says something like preparing your minds, and you just go, oh, I just need to spend time at work. But it's more than spending time at work. It's actually putting word into action. And sometimes that can be lost a little bit when we get the thinking about these things. Uh, but ultimately, there's some sort of outward action that's supposed to be taking place, or avoidance of something, you know. But there's some action. Well said. And I, if you have maybe the King James, um, if you're looking at Greek as well, that the uh, reinforcing what you just said, it's actually having gird up the loins of your mind. You've already done this. This is already a thing that has happened. There's an assumption here um, that this is uh, ongoing. It's, it's, it's happened already. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible, familiar with that translation, says, therefore, with your minds ready for action. So it kind of already has that 
You know, you're on the stage, you're ready to go, you're staged. Um, yeah. What else? Sorry. Um, in the, well, I was thinking about the something to ask. But, uh, so I asked, so why did he write this? Why is this in here? And that, therefore, being the pivot, um, so because of God's mercy through Jesus Christ, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, our salvation. Because of this salvation, be holy. And then he is describing all the different ways for us to be holy, preparing our minds for action, being self-controlled, setting our hope on grace. That's part of being holy. That really stood out to me. And then not conforming to the evil desires we have in our ignorance. It's something that we're growing out of as we are getting rid of our ignorance about our past. We're getting informed about holiness and what pleases God and about this salvation that he has given us. Beautiful. Yeah. I think as we look at it at verse 14 there with the former ignorance and the being conformed, that one that conformed is really to kind of follow the schematic of. Um, it has this idea of being a schematic, like you're actually following a specific pattern. What's that pattern? It's this former ignorance. Um, and that ignorance is, if you look elsewhere throughout the New Testament, that word for ignorance is used for blindness, uh, deadness. It's more than just missing info. It's not just an ignorance of like, well, I just didn't know. It's a certain blindness and deadness here. But when you look back at the connection here with you're preparing your mind, you're, you're, you're engaging your rational mind and preparing for spiritual warfare for the day, there's a contrast here between the way you are now, you having gird up the loins of your mind, verse 13, this is the new life, this is the way of the new, the, the new creation, contrast that with your former ignorance. So there's two different kind of visuals here of like, you used to be this way with how you thought, dead, blind. You couldn't even engage that part of your mind because your mind was actually enslaved to Satan. <laughs> that part of your mind couldn't be engaged. But now, having girded up the loins of your mind, having been made alive, as you were saying, Valerie, all this different stuff, it all comes together that there's a contrast between the redeemed and the unredeemed mind. But there's also a stark warning here. Don't fall back into that way of former ignorance. What else is jumping out? Something to do, something to ask. We don't have to stay just on the something to see. Brooks? Yeah, on verse 17, it says, and if you call him, this is something to ask. Um, and if you call him on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, um, I, I'm a little confused on how that works with the gospel with like when I stand before the father the only thing I can do is point to Jesus and his perfect record so but this is saying I'm being judged I think I don't I don't know how that fits 
Yeah, um, it is a confusing text, but I think we can be helped here by looking at verse 14 a little bit as well. Um, that one is as obedient children. I think it's helpful that Peter is highlighting that this relationship is now paternal instead of punitive. Um, our, our connection to God is no longer punitive in the sense that it's connected to a judge. It's no longer, this is no longer a judge who's pronouncing judgments on someone. This is someone who's relating to God as their father. Um, so does he not, like, if it says, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, yeah, I think that's a good, I think the point being there um, is that that this is, understand who God is, is probably another way of putting that. Yes, you can, he is your father. Yes, he is, you do have this child, um, you are adopted to God as your father. But at the same time, understand who God is, that he doesn't, he judges people impartially based on their deeds, that this is one of those things where don't, don't get comfortable here and think that the command to be holy is less simply because of your relationship to God. The calling is still there. It gives us a key look at the previous verse, because if you put it in context, it explains who God is, right? God's not going to withhold his judgment. Going to take place at the end of verse 16. It's very clear there, you know, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we're justified before God, but we also need to need to understand God's character. And that's why it's so important that we're justified through grace. Well said. So if he's making a point to live a holy life, but really at the end of the day, when you stand before the Father, you can only point to Jesus as the perfect record, though. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there isn't an implication here of merit in the sense that you will uh, earn your favor or your standing. There will be no one else to point to. I, but I do think that the command is not lessened. The command to be holy is not lessened by our relationship and our favor in Christ. Um, the commands of God are doable because of Christ, but they're not necessarily lessened. Um, so the calling is still, is still there. Um, Daniel, Roy, who just raised their hand there? I saw. We want to run to, all right, I don't know how to say this. I'm teetering on the edge of heresy, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you might not be a believer. Without the, the holiness without which no man will see the Father. Faith in Jesus is, that comes as a gift from God and it results in a baseline of holiness in the life and a trajectory where you seek holiness. We are capable of self-deception about our salvation. The fellow that said, Lord, Lord, and Jesus said, I never knew you. He was confident enough of what he thought he was that he was willing to argue with God. We know the church has cares in it. It has unsaved people in it. Jesus said that. 
The fear is I have self-deluded myself about my condition. In the end, all I can claim is Christ's righteousness. There's no question. But show me your faith without your works. Yeah, you really don't have it. And I'll show you my faith by my works. If we are not saved. We are saved by faith, not by works. But we're saved by a faith that does works. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, living people breathe. Uh, <laughs> The people that are uh, good vines bear fruit, uh, to Roy's point. Like that at, at the end of the day, when you're looking at holiness, there should be fruits of holiness in your life, ever increasing. And we should be deeply concerned, Roy, to your point, that if the fruits of holiness are not increasing in our lives, um, that there may be something else at play, which might just be actually unbelief with a heavy dose of moralism. Um, that you have figured out how to live the Christian life in a way which is you're checking all the boxes, you know all the right answers, and maybe even the Bible is a great intellectual experiment for you where you enjoy the intellect of the Bible without actually enjoying the God of the Bible. Um, great, great observations there. So with this whole um, be holy uh, if you ask me, like, Paul, what did you put down for uh, something that's confusing? That's, that, to me, that's it. Like, the whole idea, I just simply wrote, as I was kind of doing this exercise myself, is, I can't do that, <laughs> was what I wrote down. Um, so, yeah, it's like, don't, don't know what to do there. What does God's word say to this? What, uh, where else can we be looking to inform our thoughts on being holy? Anyone else look in your cross-references, look anywhere else in Scripture? What comes to mind? Word? As came on, I just want to scroll, just for a few, uh, be not conformed to the world, but transformed by the mind. So there's a process, and there's some other work we can talk about here, changing your way of I love that passage as well because it, as, as it ties in here, that it's talking again about the mind, that the mind is really Satan's battleground as a new creation. So think about this for a second, that before Christ, your mind was not off limits, put it that way. Your mind was not off limits to Satan. In Christ, Satan no longer has a voice there. And that might be a surprise to you. <laughs> Satan no longer has a voice inside your head. He no longer has direct access to you. There's two ways Satan has access to you, and probably simplify it into one, which is sin. Sin gates a seat at the table in your mind. And when sin has a seat at the table in your mind, Satan has a voice there. So when you're talking about renewing your mind, one of the things that God's been working in my heart lately is, Paul, what are the ways that you are giving Satan a seat at the table in your mind through little sins? These little unchecked things in your life that give Satan a voice through the flesh, which sin appeals to the flesh, then your mind is then captive to thoughts which are not honoring to God. But that can really change your thinking, no pun intended, 
when you start thinking like, okay, so I'm actually giving Satan a seat at the proverbial table by entertaining these thoughts or these things that appeal to my flesh, my body, uh, these sinful desires, and again, renewing your mind that because of Christ, the spirit can rule over the mind and create new thoughts, a new way of thinking. Yeah, really, I think it's related to it anyway. It's this concept of set apart, a holy meaning set apart. I mean, holy can mean, uh, we have the concept of purity, you know, totally absence of anything impure. But it also is the concept of being set apart. And then in the process of our thinking, I think this ties in to what you and Lord are talking about, what I think does. When I'm looking at my actions, I need to look at those actions. Am I seeing them from the world point of view? Or am I seeing them from scriptures and God's point of view? And that's the, the challenge that we, we face in our culture is we get infiltrated by what's going on in the world. And, and what we want to accept from the world is being acceptable. Is that really been set apart by God and our thinking? So for those of you that couldn't hear, we just uh, John was talking about how our thinking needs to be set apart, like holy thinking, kind of making a play on that that word and how we need to be renewed in our thinking, uh, have set apart thinking where the world, our flesh, and again that comes with that that schematic idea that we pattern ourselves after our own ignorance, our former way of ignorance, or the way of the flesh, or the way of the world. So thinking about it differently is how can we pattern our thinking differently? How can we pattern it towards Christ, his word, how he views this situation in light of all eternity, in light of his glory, in light of preserving his name, in light of preserving his people? Um, Looking at the word minds on that same note, is I, I mentioned that it has the idea of thinking through or rational thinking. It's an engaged, it's an engaged mind. Um, but it also has this idea um, that, so it's kind of two words together. It's kind of thinking through, if you will. But one part of that is just noia, which is the mind. And you might recognize that suffix noia from paranoia which is really to be literally surrounded by thoughts or to be surrounded by, almost antagonized by your thoughts. Yep, fear, um, that's a big part of it. And that's a condition, uh, it's a medical condition, not diminishing that. But when you think about it this way, to be surrounded by your thoughts, to be antagonized by your thoughts versus this other sort of noia, which is where your mind is actually thinking through something. It's almost your mind pushing out versus your mind being pushed in upon. Uh, I don't know. I was helped by that. Maybe you weren't. But <laughs> I was like, wow, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about paranoia versus dia or dianoia, which is very different. What else are you all thinking through? Any other passages that speak into this? Say something uh, 
obviously still on the first question, but I'll incorporate it. Uh, Peter's instruction on uh, the principles of Christ on how we put ourselves uh, behind and be as he who is holy in all your comings and goings through life. Strive each and every day to be better in your ways. Um, and then um, there's something to do. I believe God in Christ as Paul personally. Me uh, to lead people such unbelievers to him to fulfill his prophecy and and structural foundation he has forth, uh, put forth for me. And then the uh, Revelation 2, chapter 2, uh, 9 through uh, 11, I know that works in, this is Christ talking, I know that works in tribulation poverty, but thou art rich, and I know that the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue, synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that had in a year, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall be not hurt of the second death. And it's just kind of. I was going through this and I said, well, what a place in this time. I think it's in the word of Christ. So is that really? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there for sure. Well, I think it has a connection to not only Peter's instruction on how we should have to win our life best we can each and every day to strive to live. What else? What else are you all seeing? David. Be holy, bright, holy. And 
I think you know, Peter is intentionally calling our attention to that specific call of God, saying he has he is bought you, you are his. Come out of the world and be be holy. Stop pursuing these other things. Pursue God wholeheartedly. Uh, that is his call. Uh, as obedient children, obey your father in heaven and stop going after these other gods. Yeah, I think that's really helpful to point out that that Peter is is reminding us of this Old Testament command, that this is not new, um, which I also think that this must have, you know, kind of put your, you know, audience of this letter <laughs> hat on. This must have been helpful to hear in the sense of like, oh, okay, uh, you know, be holy. Okay, yeah, that I, I know what that's from. Um, and, and to think of like, okay, so that's, that's not new. The, the commands, the, the law of Christ didn't negate our need to actually pattern ourselves in, in, uh, in a manner that represents Christ's holiness. Um, good stuff. So um, as we do this, something to see, something to ask, something to do, somewhere to look, something to pray, someone to tell. Obviously, we're doing a pretty good job right now of telling as we're all kind of sharing together um, I'm curious as we kind of look at this applicationally of something to do, if you walked out and wrote one or two sentences and said, this is how my day changes, or maybe my life, hopefully, (laughs) this is how my day or my life changes because of this text, because of what I've read, because of what I've studied, and there's there's a lot here, so (laughs) there's a lot here. we could keep going, and that would be fun, but we have another service coming. Kind of summarize. What, what are you going to do with this text? What looks different? Well, I just want to put something before that. No, it's, that's it's, not. Uh, <laughs> knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways of the I think it's still an important part of it because that's the, that gives the hope. And that is the encouragement to be holy. And so we, we need to remember that. That takes away just the treasury of um, fearing, um, being judged according to deeds. Mm-hmm. I just want to put it together. Mm-hmm. Love it. Because we do fear, but it's the right kind of fear. Yeah, there's not a lot of hope in the future revelation of Christ if Christ isn't the redeemer that he says that he is. Um, so setting your hope, literally, like, it even has this imagery of like setting your hope on something. Like, pick it up, set it on there, stake it there. To set your hope on that confidently, fully set your hope on that, um, that that must be some sort of grace. <laughs> that must be something else um, to actually be optimistic at the return of Christ. Uh, us who are supposed to be judged, us who are supposed to be separated, us who are supposed to be condemned, um, that know that this is actually hope. And this should motivate your holiness. This should motivate everything you do is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, (laughs) y'all. Like, Jesus is coming back. 
Um, and that's amazing to think about. But if you're like me, one of the things that floods my mind when I think Jesus is coming back is joy followed by, ugh. <laughs> I don't know what that second emotion is, but ugh is a pretty good description of it, which is, I'm not sure that my mind, I'm not sure that my lifestyle represents a world in which Jesus is returning. And that's convicting. I'm jumping ahead into the whole application thing. (laughs) But that's definitely an application that we can get from this, which is Jesus is coming back. Um, How does my life reflect a hope that Christ will return? How do I operate in my day in a way which says Jesus is coming back? And how I live, how I think, how I pray, how I respond to my spouse, how I respond to my kids, how I respond to my parents, how I respond to my employer, how I respond to fill in the name of circumstance or person that says Jesus is coming back. Psalm 136, his is loving kindness, his is everlasting. So with uh, just these four Five words, you should reassure me. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I know everybody's lives are different, but um, ultimately, this is temporary. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. His loving kindness is everlasting. And it's, it's an amazing thought to think that in not just heaven, but new heaven and new earth life, um, Jesus isn't coming for us to flit and float around heaven with harps. He's coming to make right that the new heaven and the new earth, that we will function as what we were called to be. So have any of you ever had that moment of delight where you're working on something and you're just like, I am loving my work? Anyone? Am I the only one? Please, please, someone. Okay. You're just doing something and it's just like, this is great. Um, I am loving what I'm working on right now. Now, granted, that's not the pervasive thought uh, for most of my workday, I'll be honest. But those moments... um, are resurrection glimmers, if you will, or resurrection hopes that Jesus is returning to establish a new heaven and a new earth where you will operate in a way that you were designed, that you can actually worship as a redeemed, resurrected human doing the work and the position of your calling, not in your fallen way, but in a redeemed way. Like you want to talk about hope and Christ's return That's beautiful uh, to think of that. When you think of all the things right now that are so broken and ruined by the fall, whether it's by your ineptitude, whether it's by your ignorance, whether it's by your arrogance, whatever it's by, the things that are futile in this world that Christ will rule and reign over in the new heaven and a new earth that you will be able to do for his glory as his child, um, That is a mercy that endures forever. That is a kindness that we don't deserve. As you look at the fallenness of what you touch in the given day and know that Christ is coming to redeem it all in a fullness of grace that we haven't yet experienced, uh, that's hope. 
That's a lot of hope. That's that well done, thou good and faithful servant that yeah. we experience when we're doing what God's called us to do. Yeah. On that note, unless anyone else has anything else asked to add, unless anyone else has anything else to add, going once, going twice. Let's close with prayer and uh, share this. Share as you keep looking at God's word, keep studying, pick up these sheets. These are available on the website. You can print them yourself. You can make a Google Doc like I've done if you're a digital type of person uh, where you can clone the document, make a copy, and every day just start scribbling some stuff in. I can't read my own handwriting, so uh, it's really good that I use a keyboard. Um, But yeah, this is a really simple tool And we've just talked for basically an hour from more or less five, six, seven minutes of study. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is alive and powerful. Um, I thank you that your word is rich. It's full of truth that informs how we think, informs how we act. And I pray exactly that, that it would. I pray that we would be obedient children. Um, that really is the, the point, um, that we really would be obedient children, that we would yield, that we would be like an obedient child that hears their parents' voice and hearkens to it. They turn towards it. They're informed by it. I pray that you would create in each one of us obedience, but I pray that you would create obedience in us, not just from duty, but from love. So I pray that you would stir a deepening affection for the grace that will be revealed, that you would create so much anticipation, but also confidence um, that this is coming, this is happening, this is real. Um, I pray that we would long for it, not to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon that what is mortal in us would be swallowed up in life. That's resurrection life. I pray that we would long for that uh, each and every day. Thank you for this body. I thank you for the ways that they've encouraged me. I thank you for the things that they've pointed to from your word um, that in my study I hadn't seen. So I, I just thank you for this time together. Open and make our hearts tender towards your word uh, in the hour to follow. It's in your name we pray. Amen.